Star Wars 7x7 episode 2642. All right, we're going to continue our series of looks at Star Wars Visions, the anime series from Disney+. And we've got the ninth Jedi in store for you today. This is the fifth installment in Visions, and we're going to supplement the conversation with some information from the filmmaker focus featurette focused on that particular short. Punch it. Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy and thank you so much for joining me for it. So, as with the previous installments of our Looks at Star Wars Visions episodes, we're going to focus on five top takeaways from these episodes and yeah, let's see what we get into. First of all, I should say that this is, you know, reminding you a full spoiler episode for Star Wars Visions, so if you haven't seen it yet, you know, you know the drill. Alright, so... There you go, you are forewarned. So the first takeaway I have for you is just the general gist of the thing, and we kind of find out a little bit about it as it ends. And so we're bookended with the beginning, saying that it's been many generations since the Jedi were seen in the galaxy, and it's also been a very long time since anyone's seen a lightsaber. And so this guy, Margrave Juro, and Margrave, you find out, is a title, it's not a name of a person, has put out a call to the Jedi, and Kara, by the end, the young girl who's the daughter of the Sabersmith, is invited to become the ninth Jedi. And so it seems like if you're going to invite somebody and say, you come with us and be the ninth Jedi, and Kara was never you know, part of the plan in the first place, it suggests that there were eight Jedi who were called to the, um, to the Margrave's planet and with the hopes that they would take up lightsabers and become Jedi and help restore order to the galaxy, which is yet again repeating the cycle of stuff that happens in the Star Wars galaxy. And don't get me wrong, this is not a criticism of the short. It's actually a commentary on the rhyming nature of Star Wars that here we are again, as with the High Republic, as with the regular Republic before the fall of the Empire, now we've got another story generations out where Jedi are again being asked to go to war on behalf of the galaxy. And it's just, ah, gosh, it's just not going to end well, is it? And that leads me to the second takeaway, which is the fact that this is another cliffhanger episode. So the twins before it was certainly a very cliffhangery episode. And yeah, I suppose you could say that there are, you know, elements of the village bride, like, you know, wanting to see what F's future exploits are, you know, or Tatooine Rhapsody with the band and what happens to them next. But I mean, those aren't really like cliffhangers or clear serialized situations, but for sure it is the case with the twins and very for sure it is the case with the ninth Jedi. And I would say that Ronin, the first one, tends to fall within the same category as the Village Bride and Tatooine Rhapsody in that it's not readily apparent that there's intended to be a sequel or that there's intended to be a future story, although the filmmakers in the featurette for Ronin definitely make that implication, and certainly that's what we're getting with the novel Ronin. But it's definitely a much clearer presentation of that sort of cliffhangery serial vibe with the twins and now the ninth Jedi. And the third thing I want to flag sort of builds on that continuation. So the way the story ends is that 
the Jedi who were summoned by Margrave Juro, not all of them made it, and some of them were killed by Sith. So that's a great turn when they have the you know, people who have arrived and you think they're Jedi and most of them are Sith. That's a pretty cool twist. But there's kind of conflicting information, or at least on its face, it sounds like it's conflicting. At the very end, Juro says that a number of the Jedi were intercepted and killed, and Sith were sent in their place. But then he's asked just a few seconds later, you know, what about the other Jedi? And he's like, I can sense them, you know, they aren't lost, they're still wandering out there, and we can find them. And that's where, you know, the cliffhanger situation happens, along with, of course, the fact that the Sabersmith has been taken away, and so they gotta go find him as well well but based on the count it was five sith who arrived and that means that you know they either killed those jedi or maybe they didn't all kill their jedi and other you know of the jedi that were summoned were wandering around or maybe they summoned a lot more and they only got answers from eight of them or something like that i don't know it's not really clear and so it's a situation where I do hope that this is a you know big flag that they intend on continuing the story, whether it's in an animated form or if it's in some other format, like a book format or a manga format. And as a fourth thing, I do want to talk about that whole structure situation because in the Filmmaker Focus featurette, they talked about how they initially developed two stories for this and ultimately when Lucasfilm reviewed the ideas they said you know what like they kind of seem like they build off of one another so why don't you combine them and make them one longer situation so this is one of the longest episodes of Star Wars Visions and we are told in the filmmaker featurette that the initial ask that went out was for 10-15 minute shorts and so that brings back the whole thing from the Disney Investor Day where it was supposed to be 10, that's what was announced, and we only have nine. So I guess it sort of raises the question, was this the 10th, like were you know, nine and 10 smashed together to create one, or is there still one lurking out there that we haven't gotten yet? And so far they've made some announcements about the Disney Plus Day that's happening in November, and there's going to be a Boba Fett special that's a part of that, but wouldn't it be fun to get the 10th Visions episode on Disney Plus Day? I think that would be rather fun. All right, heaven help me, I think I've lost track of my takeaways. I think we're on four, so <laughs> don't, don't get upset if I'm actually going to six instead of five. Uh, fourth takeaway I want to share with you is about the lightsaber situation. So they're mining kyber crystals and the way the kyber crystal situation is presented is that the kyber crystal will automatically react to the jedi who's holding it and the color and the length of the blade will result as part of the connection that the kyber crystal makes with the jedi and that's really fascinating and it aligns to some degree with what established canon is where the color of the crystal actually is influenced by the Jedi with the exception of the red lightsabers which have to be bled like the kyber crystals have to be bled that's the term by a Sith in order to get them to turn red but in this case we see that they are automatically red when the Sith turn them on so that's a bit of a, a different way of working and also there's nothing about you know the kyber crystals actually you know singing or calling out to particular Jedi or a Jedi finding a particular match with a certain kyber crystal and you know that's okay of course and then the other thing too was the one Sith who appeared to be a Sith and turned out it was a Jedi who was just being overwhelmed by the darkness of the other people around him, 
his lightsaber while he was battling turned from red to purple. And so you're like, whoa, that's crazy. What's happening? Is it possible that some of these like force nature is actually changing the nature of the blade and perhaps of the person too? And maybe that was sort of happening because that particular Jedi seemed to be sort of kind of waking up a little bit in the, you know, in the conflict when the blades were pressed together. And so, yeah, maybe that had something to do with it potentially, but I think the thing about the blade length though, that was actually something where there was a manual setting on lightsabers old where it would do that. And it's also interesting that it could see, it could be seen to evolve too. So when Kara has, it initially has one initially, it's just gray. And then as she gets into action sequences, it starts to turn green and actually develops a color. And so that suggests that as you become more attuned to the force and your own ability to control it, wield it, manipulate it as it were, or just you know work with it and flow with it, if you'd rather put it that way, that maybe the color comes out the more you're proficient and connected with and to the force. It was a different point of view on lightsabers, basically. I thought it was pretty cool. And then the last takeaway, what I hope is the fifth takeaway, but might be the sixth, is where, if you were going to try to place this on a canon timeline, where would you place it? Well, at the very beginning, it does say that many generations have passed since the light of the Jedi was seen in the galaxy. And of course you hear the phrase light of the Jedi and suddenly your brain goes to the High Republic. And so, I know that there's a situation where, you know, the light of the Jedi is supposed to go dark at the end of phase one of the higher public storytelling initiative. So in my head, I was like, I know that logically speaking, what they're presenting to us makes it seem like it's far in the future, like far past the events of the sequel trilogy. And, you know, that certainly makes sense. There's definitely an argument for that. But it did make me wonder if it was you know, possible to have happened in the higher public era in whatever this period of darkness is going to be and how long that will last, how many generations that will affect, or even if you go before the higher public, but we still you know, don't have a canon sense of what comes before with any real solid meaty detail or anything like that. And funnily enough, it also ties into an episode that we did just a, a little while ago about Star Wars Hunters and about where the you know two people that have lightsabers, Reeve and the droid J-E-D-I, um, or 3-D-I, excuse me, um, where they got their lightsabers and how many lightsabers are actually kicking around in the galaxy after the events of Return of the Jedi. And there aren't that many. I mean, you know, maybe there's some in some <laughs> collector storage facility someplace but yeah the fact that lightsabers themselves are gone that does seem to suggest that we are you know kind of far in the sequel trilogy future also and doesn't necessarily seem like it would relate to you know maybe whatever this period of darkness in the higher public is going to be so yeah i i feel like probably that's the best answer like far in the future but you know i'd like to hold out hope that it's not necessarily the only answer again if it could be placed on the canon timeline and so there you go. That's what I've got for you about The Ninth Jedi, which is the fifth installment in Star Wars Visions, and that is going to do it for this episode of the show. It just remains for me to say thank you so much for joining me for it, as always, and may the Force be with you wherever in the world you may be. Star Wars 7x7 is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items, are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited, Respective trademark and copyright holders, may the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2021 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.